Hi friends, instead of a teaser clip today, I thought I would read you my favorite review of this film. Microwave Massacre is one piece of trash that really should be consigned to the refuse pile of history. Enjoy! Yes, because we are watching a, a real trashy bad movie this week. Yeah, so this week's movie, so this is CanCon, uh, your Canadian cannibal content podcast where we talk about cannibal films. Uh, and we are Canadian. All the things happen to be true at the same time. And we are discussing the worst movie I have ever seen called Microwave Massacre. And I don't even know if I have a single thought about it. So, Zach? So, Microwave Massacre... From what I've gathered, um, from watching it twice, yeah, watching it as a kid because it had a really funny uh, image on the art, like the VHS artwork of someone gasping while there was like a freaky looking cooked head in a microwave, um, leaving no doubt as to what the title portends that there will be a massacre involving a microwave. Uh, it's like a real, um, I feel like there's a whole subgenre of, like, super low-budget, trashy movies that also, like, kind of know that they're gonna primarily be consumed by, like, teenage boys who are watching them without their parents' permission and, like, are expecting all the tropes of a bad kid movie, like, boobs and violence and cussing and this movie like like doesn't just present that as content it kind of is like really giddily like we're gonna make this as dumb as possible like you could say it doesn't take itself very seriously but it's also like um it's kind of owing up to what it is while at the same time like wallowing in what it is yeah, it is definitely a movie that was made, I think you're spot on, Zach, so it's definitely a movie that is made for teenage, mostly boys, to watch in secret at a sleepover, I would say. Yeah, it's a sleepover movie, you could, Yeah. if you want, you want to just broadly define it as that. But yeah, so the plot of this movie, I'm, I'm not going to remember anybody's names, probably. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the lead's name, because as I laugh throughout the film it's the man who did the voice of frosty the snowman in the classic rankin base frosty the snowman cartoon yeah so i don't believe that like revisiting or re rewatching it's like I, I teach in university and i sometimes hear from my students some kind of anxieties if i study this um this movie that i love that studying it means i'm in a room um yeah it's so, like my my response to that is always like, you know, if we're studying something, we are looking more deeply and closely at it, and sure, we might uncover that there is problematic stuff in something that we love, um, but we have complicated relationships to texts all the time. Like, we love texts that have problematic stuff in them because perfect texts uh, do not 
yet exist. And I think it's like healthier to acknowledge, to be able to point to and say, this is the problematic stuff. Here's where we maybe make change with future representation and all of that good stuff. Like to point out those things and to still be able to acknowledge what it is about a text that brings us joy or that is entertaining or fun. Um, but there's just something different about like, because, because it's his voice Right? It's like, it feels like, it's like, oh, this is the face of Frosty. Like, my beloved Frosty from when I was a very small child. And then it's attached to this man who's doing just the worst imaginable things. So, like, that's an experience, for sure. Yeah. It's, in a very particular sort of way, it's funny because you realize you've watched that cartoon, like, a thousand times. But unlike a lot of famous voice work where like it's a name actor and you know them from other things this gentleman whose name i will google when i'm not talking next um it's like it's so recognizable immediately as frosty and he's so unrecognizable as like uh you know like an embodied human form uh and he's yeah tremendously unpleasant in the film um and you just kind of keep also waiting for him to say, you know, like, look at all wishy-washy. Like, it's, it's weird. Yeah, I think that some of, some of the things, so after we watched it, we were trying, we were, I, I don't think we came to a decision about whether it was trying to, like, it's trying to be gross, and it's trying to be dumb, and is it trying to, like, put a lens on what gets passed off as, what as like, gross and dumb and acceptable in films? Like, if it was trying to in, encounter a, or enact a critique? Um, because I think there, there are some places in the film where it really feels like that is maybe what they're trying to do because we dislike the main character so much. Like, we, we are disgusted with him, like, all the way through. Um, but I think my take on, like, critiques like that or possible critiques is that your, your critique is not working if it's, if it's not clear or if it is such a question mark that people, um, are working really, really hard to try to find it or try to make a case for it. Um, but let's talk about what happens in this film. Like, what is the plot of this film? Yeah, so the lead, played by Jackie Vernon, who was Frosty the Snowman and a stand-up comedian of some repute. Uh, he hates his wife because she's a nagging anti-Semitic stereotype of like, like the Yenta wife who's always complaining and cooking him horrible food. And because she makes such horrible food and he's uh, mocked by his construction worker co-workers for not, I guess, they should be mocking him for not making his own food. This is one of the immediate uh, kind of really uh, hateful uh, components to the story is that rather than mocking him for being this kind of pathetic, greasy man-child who doesn't make his own food and complains about it, they mock him for, I guess, both for having a like this shrew of a wife who makes bad food, and then they mock him for eating the bad food. So his solution is to murder his wife, cook her. Uh, I think he accidentally eats some of her thinking it's leftovers or something because he hides her carcass in the fridge. 
after putting her in the giant microwave. It's like the the most Chekhovian gun ever. There's like a scene for no reason whatsoever in the opening few minutes of the film where she's like, look at this great giant human-sized microwave I bought. It's the newest latest. And you're like, oh, okay, well, I know what the name of the movie is. Um, long story short, yeah, he, he gets a taste for human flesh and he starts secretly, I mean, he's not secretly sharing the food. He's, he's sharing the food, the, the meat with his coworkers and they all love it. They think it's like this like choice barbecue that he's uncovered. But, but the, he's, it, the secret is that he has not told them yeah. that he's eat, that they're eating Meat. They don't know people, what it people, is. People. Yeah, Human. he just tells them it's like I forget, like a secret recipe or something. They gloss over it, but yeah, and then he starts having to find new victims, who are conveniently always women. Well, I I think part of, and this is part of the thing that, like, for me is like maybe it's trying, like maybe someone somewhere was like, we have eighty dollars, we're gonna make a movie, and we're gonna push some boundaries by drawing a connection between the consumption of human flesh, like as actual meat and the consumption of women's bodies, um, both sexually as in like the act of having sex, but like in a predatory, not like very, um, very exploitative, very objectifying way. And then also as consumption, like as an image on screen. So like that is, that is a link. So I don't, I don't even know if we could say that he has a craving for human flesh. Like, I think he has a craving for, like, eating, eating women, women. Like, cooking them and eating them. And first by deceiving them into sexual situations, which also, like, further... Like, it doesn't even further muddy it, because, like, this stuff is... It's not muddy. It's, like, it's just mud. Like, it, this is the bad stuff in the movie. And it makes the bad stuff worse when he's also... He's, like, a sexual predator always prior to being like a, a murderous predator unless the women are like resemble his wife like her sister i think it's supposed to be or like her friend her sister her sister comes looking for her and he you know finds her grossly unattractive and she ends up just like trapped in his closet the rest of the movie like it's like her sexual undesirability renders her both like not a figure of sexual desire and also not someone he's in a rush to cook and eat and it and but but it still makes her like he still abuses her oh like yeah he, yeah and it's it's kind of played for laughs is and, where we, and it's sexualized too like he shoves a loaf of bread in her mouth yeah yeah and it's um and sneaks up behind her and, yeah yeah yeah, so it's a very sexist film, and it's a very racist film, and it's a very anti-Semitic film, so... And homophobic, And homophobic, too. yeah. That's one of the most... Well, you keep going. No, 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 no. There's a lot of bad stuff in it. I don't recommend it. Um, yeah, I think the... For me, the... Like, the... The possibility of getting pleasure out of watching it is just, like, so undone by those other things. Um, but I think it's, but it's, re it was, it's really interesting, I guess, as a study in, like, what has been acceptable. Do you know what I mean? Like, it, like it's, 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 as I, an artifact 
there, there are things to be learned for sure. Yeah, that's the stuff that, like, I don't think is especially complicated in the film, but is complicated to talk about, where it's like, one thing that I find frustrating and interesting is, like, it doesn't, nothing about the film takes itself seriously, except maybe some of the really gratuitous uh, nudity is taken seriously, just in that it seems like the producer's really wanted like a really specific kind of female figure to pat like the the boobs getting shoved through the wall of the construction site as kind of like a breast glory hole like the opening shot of the film is like a woman like willingly participating in her own objectification yeah um on a construction site which also happens to be where our protagonist works yeah, that stuff seems almost like there's, like, obsessive detail to it, where, like, everything had to be just so. Like, suddenly it's, like, like when people talk about, like, the, the way Hitchcock would fret over the way women looked in his movies, and then, like, everything else in the film. Like, some of the set designs are supposed to be a bar, and it's clearly just, like, a table, and... In a corner, and they turn the lights off. And it's, yeah, and, and the lighting is horrible, and it's, um... You know, the editing, like, stuff kind of... There's, like, loose ends that kind of come and go. In the last five minutes of the film, everything gets sort of just, like... It just seems like they ran out of time and money and they wrapped it up. Like, a lot of things, that like, indicators of Z-grade exploitation movies that you see. And this one, by being so goofy and over-the-top, I can see why it's... It's easy to see, I think, why it's developed such a cult following, like, for that kind of nefarious teenage boy sleepover. Like, it hits, it checks all the boxes, but, like, the thing about watching a movie like that when you're a little more mature or older or, you know, hopefully more mature, is that you realize it wasn't made by 13-year-olds smoking dubs and staying up late and watching bad movies it was made by you know like we can talk about how slopped together it is and how low the budget probably was but like someone with the money to make a film chose to make this film and like presumably jackie vernon like you know like he could have not done it like i think he's the only person i was able to find who had any other kind of like uh resume to their name involved in the movie was and it's after frosty or is it yeah before frosty? I, it's it's late 70s <laughs> so it's i'm thinking it's after which probably did no favors for it getting any kind of like you know you can't promote it as like the mm-hmm. voice of frosty the snowman in this like misogynist slasher like trying to be a comedy it's certainly not scary like not in any in you know ostensible way it's scary and like what it portends for the the mind of people who made it and who maybe take it even a little bit seriously yeah i think it is absolutely um the result of i i it it watches like the result of like a three-day cocaine bender and maybe the idea was to make a porn and something didn't happen or they couldn't get signature on a piece of paper or something and then it turned into this because like it's a the, the nudity is about as gratuitous as you can get without it getting like an x rating or a 
you know, it just... It's, and part of what's so interesting to me, like, as an artifact, and part of what, um, so, like, I'm, I'm here, like, Zach, you have to explain yourself, and also my job, and my training is, like, I have to take the, the, I don't have to take the film seriously, but I feel like we have to take our unpacking of the film seriously, because that's what our project is. Um, so I'm going to do that. I'm going to give it my all. Let's see, see what we can pull out of it. Part of what is really interesting about it for me is how confused it is. So like you're spot on, like it's so gratuitous. There's like gratuitous sex scenes, there's gratuitous nudity. Um, we keep getting shots of women's like disembodied torsos, like not, um, like disembodied by the camera. Which I'm like, that's actually kind of, like, this is the part, right, where I'm like, you're not succeeding super well at a critique, but, like, you are positioning, like, he, the camera disembodies the women before the men do, um, and you're making that explicit, and you're drawing our attention to it, and at the same time that it's super gratuitous, and it's like, is this, were you trying to make a porno, and you didn't get whatever sign-off, or you didn't realize that, like, there is an industry. People don't just up and decide to make. Yeah, their whoever own. was putting up the twenty five hundred bucks was suddenly like, I don't want to make a porno. I want to make a horror movie, and it was like, oh man. Yeah, um, but but like the nudity is not. I don't find it titillating. Like no. it's it's, and like I can't tell if that's on purpose. That we're supposed to be just so thoroughly disgusted with the whole thing that, and it's part of like drawing our attention to, for example, that the camera is so violent before this man is so violent. Um, or if it's just like a bunch of people had no money and no kind of filmmaking pro- prowess and didn't know how to make the footage titillating. Like what are you, what is your, I think the opening stuff with the the breast glory hole is supposed to be, it's kind of like meatballs or uh, porkies. Like, it it feels like that kind of like, like, I mean, the, even framing it as a glory hole, like, it really does feel like the hole into the girls' locker room and all the boys are pressed, have their eyes pressed up against it. Except it's out in the open. Yeah. Which is its own, like... Again, this is its own, like, potentially trying to illuminate something, right? It's And it's in broad daylight, and it's garishly lit. Uh, that scene seems like they were like, let's let's get, like, the most exciting stuff out of the way first. Presumably thinking, like, that, again, the 13-year-olds who put this video inside a PG-rated video box, kids like that. The idea was that, like, that they'll see that and they'll keep watching. Like, maybe there'll be more adult content. But, like, I mean, one of the, the probably the most disturbing part of the whole movie for me is there's a dream sequence where we see a woman's torso and her head is out of the shot and she's being, like, slathered with butter, I guess, by a giant butter knife and, like, put into bread. And the Jackie Vernon character is imagining just, like, eating her raw on a giant sandwich and it's 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 like it feels like a peak in the film somehow like it's both the closest semblance to creativity we see in the whole movie because it's just so preposterous and ridiculous and, it, and it's trying to operate and like 
the the forms of storytelling that are slightly higher level than just like pure plot and dialogue, right? Like Yeah, it's kind of ambitious. It's like what if we like let's really show how big his like cannibal food fetish has gotten. Let's what if he imagines like a woman being eaten as a sandwich. And even then though there's like long shots of like the knife kind of slowly dragging along her like along her navel and stomach like putting butter and stuff on her like it still feels like it's trying to be sexy but it's just gross and weird and like and this is this is the thing that i keep getting kind of swirling the drain with right is like though that kind of shot like you like if you take out the butter and you amp up like a scary ambiance and you add a scary soundtrack to it and you are a better filmmaker and you make a better movie. Um, but that's separate, like separate from the quality yeah, or whatever. Yeah, it's like yeah. the kind of shot that you actually would see like in a horror film. Yeah. It's grotesque and it's, it's psychological. And, and it's sexualized violence in a very, very particular explicit way that is like, that they are making absurd and also, like, inviting the audience to cast judgment on, right? Like, we, th- like, like we think he's so gross the whole way through. Yeah. Oh, that... I don't want to talk myself into ha- thinking this film. This is, ugh, continue. Well, I'm not, I'm not going to. I think the ways it, it probably was trying to hedge its bets at the time, like, historical present is trying to hedge its bets, is, like, they don't cast... We talked a bit about this while watching it. Part of the ambivalence of it and, and why it's 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 like impossible to to give it any kind of generous reading because mm-hmm. it's so bad, but it's also like it feels like there's built in defense mechanisms to keep you from just dismissing it outright. Like they do present the lead cannibal Jackie Vernon character as being pathetic and like a loser you know it's all the tropes he hangs out at a bar you know he's like in this unhappy marriage he's not clean he's acting like a baby all the time he's mocked at work by younger more muscular men and he he commits cannibalism and secretly feeds human flesh to these other guys like predominantly for friendship yeah he's lonely which is like such an interesting piece of it actually that like like there's easier ways to make friends you know i remember that being because when i watched it as a kid and i was just kind of like this is so stupid but it's like kind of funny um like the ideal audience but i remember like there's the the scene where they're eating the what they don't realize is barbecued human and they're like man this is good you got to get us more of this he's like really you guys like it and there's like this real, like, naivete about him suddenly. I remember thinking, like, I don't like this, because, like, now they've almost got me feeling bad for this guy, but everything else about him is, like, vile. And I think that's kind of what I'm getting at with, like, both the movie trying to kind of, like, cover its own ass, but then it just, like, doesn't work on either level, where it's, like, they kind of seem to be insisting, see, he's pathetic, like, you're not supposed to root for him. But the camera takes so much glee in showing him dismembering women and, like, humiliating women and every woman in the movie. It's not even, like, a thing where you can, like, some, like, MRA dude could be like, well, it's just meant, you know, it's so stupid, you can't possibly be taking it seriously. Because it's not like 
there's always the obligatory pointing to like the one or two examples mm-hmm. in the film that aren't explicitly sexist. Like someone will be like, well, that woman in the movie's empowered or whatever. And this movie does that at the very end, like spoiler, spoiler alert, cover your ears out of nowhere with no hinting that the man's wife is even like has a ghostly presence or is like coming back from the dead. He gets killed in a microwave electrocution accident result like from his heart condition his pacemaker his pacemaker and it's revealed that the the wife's severed head is still sentient or at least they leave the possibility that it's sentient and that it was she gets her just desserts yeah no pun well pun intended pun intended so i guess that would be the example where they're kind of like the um like wrestling reference, Vince McMahon always says, I'll get my comeuppance in the end. You know, it's like, well, what you just dumped like sewer water on this woman. So it's like, wh- what does comeuppance look like for you? Where it's sort of like after he's done all this horrible stuff, we're supposed to be like, oh, it's actually like, uh, you know, it doesn't hate women. In the end, uh, his dead wife gets her revenge. But like up until that point, which like literally feels like a tacked on thing that they maybe decided on the last day of filming. Every... Which was also the first day of filming. Yeah, yeah. I'm like so that sure. after the afternoon of filming. Um every female character in the movie like walks on screen and is either like like eliciting cat calls from the other characters or is just like this like miserable hag, like, you know, has these men just trapped in their joyless lives. And then like the racism I mean, the the anti-Semitism is just, like, every time his wife's on screen. And then the anti-black racism and the homophobia, the film, like, goes out of its way to hit those marks where we have, for no reason whatsoever, uh, there's, like, a really big butch construction worker and, and one of the women who's been hanging around the construction site is like, oh, I want to meet him. And the construction worker who's trying to pick her up is like, oh, I'll introduce you to him. And then he's like this super flamboyant effeminate gay man who's like he starts complaining when she touches him like you've got cooties or something like that like it's so it's juvenile in the extreme it's so cringy and embarrassing it is embarrassing and it's like that's where it's kind of like again i could see people who you know like whatever they would call themselves anti-social justice warrior types or something being like you can't, it's so broad and it's so exaggerated and it's so silly. You can't get mad. It's like, I'm not really like mad about it. It's just, it makes me sad watching it. It's just like, it's like the lowest hanging fruit and it's mean spirited. And we're encouraged to laugh at it. The the black anti-black racism is we see uh, like a, a cannibal delivery van or something like going around. And it's like a, a guy with like, He's got like a bone in his hair or something. In his nose. In his nose. It's and he's supposed to be like, you know, like while this guy's cooking his 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 wife in a microwave, like the true cannibals, which are like Africans, are driving around putting people in pots. Um, so it's just like it's really ugly. Yeah, I think some of the utility of a film like this is like I hear a lot in my role as an instructor, I hear a lot of, of like, anti-cancel culture stuff, 
but it was just, I think, a really normal, like, people who are, are it, it's nothing different. What I'm hearing in the classroom some of the time is, like, not very different from people who really, like, online, for example, who just, like, not really thought out, like, what it actually is that they're opposing. They just don't like the idea that a person might be held to account for something that they said. Like, they just don't think we should... Or, like, I think... I, there's some version. I think I think that's not what people would say, I think. Um, but I would phrase it back to them as... I call that holding people, like, accountable for the things that they say in public and the things that they use their platforms for um, and, like, for actions having consequences... And so on, and there's like many other critiques of, of that kind of mindset that we can make. Like Zach and I don't have an exact agreement on this one, but um, the how long la- lasting has anyone's cancellation actually been? Like, what effects has it actually had on people? Uh, are they meaningful effects? Are they meaningful long term effects? Are they meaningful long term effects as they would? Um, be for, say, someone who accuses someone else of sexual assault, right? Or, um, and, and I'm using accusers and, like, I believe survivors, like, but someone who is, like, the, the, the volunteers themselves up to be the face of, um, say, a sexual abuse scandal. I'm thinking, like, the Gomeshi trials a few years back and things like that, where it's, like, probably many women were harmed by uh, by him, but only a few of them, um, were brave enough to put themselves forward, um, and sort of, and the world treated them really badly, right? Like, like, that's a really, um, you know you're signing yourself up to receive threats, you know you're signing yourself up to be critiqued in all manner, you know you're signing yourself up to have your reputation really kind of, um, picked apart, Uh, when what you're seeking for yourself is justice. So anyway, this is a really, really long-winded way of saying the utility for this, for me, is to be, like, have a text that's, like, cancel culture, but then, like, let's look at what we were making before. Yeah. Like, let's take a look at Microwave Massacre and tell me, like, no one would dare make this film today because they would, I hope, be canceled. And, like, I think that's a good thing, actually. It's... Really, um, there's utility to it as an example in that sense, too, because, um, again, because it's, it, by all outward appearances, takes itself so unseriously and is so, like, goofy, I really do, I did keep keep thinking about South Park throughout it, where there's this kind of idea that, like, as long as, like, we wear it on our face that like everything we're doing is absurd and we're critiquing the left and the right at the same time. And, you know, we sort of have a politics behind it. We can depict whatever we want. And like, I know some people think there's something to that. Um, I find it kind of maddening and and just like essentially an excuse to put belligerent, you know, ugly stereotypes and, in that you know the it appeals to the same kind of like snickering 13 year old boy uh as microwave massacre does south park that is and i feel like if this movie put like a a uh, like tongue-in-cheek psa at the end of it 
it wouldn't be that different from, you know, something you see on South Park or American Dad or these kind of, like, uh, shows that are both, like, meant to be, like, edgy, but also kind of, like, anti-woke. And, and where you are building in sort of plausible deniability, like, you really want to represent kind of really some really gross stuff, but you also you don't want to be held accountable for it. Um, yeah. I do think that, and this is not a statement in support of South Park or in support of Microsoft Massacre either, um, I do think that it is possible to use humor, like humorous depiction, um, to defang harmful ideas, but I, but I think that when that happens successfully, it is because it has been done really intentionally and often... Um, been done like by the people who were harmed by the harmful ideas and not like by the people who are of the same demographic as those doing the harming right so like men making a movie about like that's trying to use humor to unpack or defang sexism isn't going to work the same way as um as something like jennifer's body where that's part of what's happening in in that film yeah, and there's probably some blurring of the lines where you have um, kind of like sea change moments where I'm thinking of like the Mel Brooks movie Blazing Saddles where you have a black actor as the lead and it's a movie that's full of the N-word in a way that at the time seemed very progressive where it was like blacks and whites both making fun of racism, but it was still in that era where it was kind of like to depict the thing in an exaggerated way was the peak of like allegedly defanging it. And when you go back and watch it now, it's kind of like, yeah, this kind of feels like it was also just an excuse to laugh at the N word a lot. I mean, that's going back to like the seventies. And then we still have that issue with like the Tina Fey comedies in the nineties or the nineties, the early two thousands with like the blackface on 30 rock and some of the stuff in Kimmy Schmidt where it's, it's pretty questionable what's what the actual commentary is um so yeah it's it's a thing that doesn't go away and it it's differing levels of deliberate or offensive like um just intention is kind of the hobgoblin of all these things you know like if there's only so much you can without it being too explicit what the intention of any uh depiction is it's hard to yeah it's and, hard to say anything concrete about it and i think like when i say something's really intentionally done i mean like there's a thoughtfulness that shapes the 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 ultimate outcome in a in a positive way um because intention is something right like we just can't we can't know it and even if a filmmaker or a writer or whatever tells us what their intention was that doesn't like negate what the actual product is and it doesn't negate that like like how people are going to encounter and receive it um yeah so i i think i think we're on the same page about that. yeah it's kind of the double bind of the death of the author where it's like ultimately the author does matter depending on what aspect of a work we're talking about um I mean, this a film like this makes it kind of easy, though, because it's just like, who, regardless of who made this film, there's something to offend everybody in it, and not in a way where it's like, uh, 
uh, you know, not in like a playful way. Like it's not like, uh, you know, no one's off limits in our parodic vision of the world. Like this is more like no one's off limits in our, our hateful slasher movie. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Um, I think it's an interesting artifact coming chronologically between Soylent Green and Fried Green Tomatoes where cannibalism is um, the figure of the cannibal and the act of cannibalism are used in really like thoughtful, intentional ways, whereas uh, we're in this film, it's very kind of like, it's it's low-hanging fruit, I think you said earlier. Um, it tells me, as a scholar, that like, there was a conversation going on about sexualized depictions of violence um, in a meaningful way. Not that this film is participating. I mean, the film is participating in a meaningful way in that conversation, I think, in that it is saying fuck you to people who would question the utility or ethics of just like continually depicting women um, as the objects of sexualized, as sex objects and the objects of violence and as the objects of sexualized violence. Um, but it, it speaks to there, that there must have been like an engaged ongoing conversation at the time in a way that I think we might be kind of Pollyanna about when we, um, when we think about history, we tend to get like caught up in our own media spheres and so on. Um, and, and think that every conversation that we are having in the current day is like we're we've innovated that and we're like so good and progressive and yeah 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 no there's i think there's a very plausible version of this movie that could still and probably still does get made and seen by about as many people as saw microwave massacre yeah um i think we should talk a little bit about his wife like i'm so team i wish i could remember her name i don't even i don't know yeah it's like ethel or something like that yeah i'm so team her so what zach described earlier as like making him bad food was um like bad with big scare quotes around it not she's making him like if we were going to gender food she's making him feminine versions of food and not masculine versions of food where what he takes to work that gets him in with the boys is a huge sandwich and it's barbecue and she's making him like using her new microwave tool is making him like fancy French sounding stuff or spinach and something. Everything she described, I was like, Oh, I like your wife is making you all these fancy. We have a coded word for like soft food or like feminine food or wimpy food and it is a french sounding word it's gourmet oh my goodness it is gourmet. <laughs> she's making him gourmet food he's got this dead-end job he's miserable his friends mock him because he's got like his food's too good at work and then he's uh like driven to the edge of psychosis by to, into a murderous rage by uh being you know greeted at the door with a home-cooked meal every night yeah, yeah. Which again feels like maybe someone was trying to be smart with that, but just didn't. Yeah, 
Um, I think the main takeaway from watching this movie is that anyone can make a movie. Like, if <laughs> if you have, a, I mean, in the world of uh, smartphones, you already have a camera. Yeah. Um. So don't like un- unleash your creative urges. Don't hold back if you've got a film in your heart you've been <laughs> wanting to make. I will say too, when you think of like the tenets of like bad filmmaking, and you're picturing like, oh, grainy camera images, or you know cheesy acting like that's that's really only like that's 10 percent of it like i feel like if you wanted to show film students like tiger traps to avoid as far as like this is an inept shot don't frame a thing this way where you have like just awkward scenes of like almost like topographical views because they're trying to get two people who are in a narrow hallway into the same shot (laughs) There's a scene where he's hiding his wife's head behind his back so that his sister doesn't see it. And it's so clumsily shot that, like, they almost look like they're bumping into each other on the set. And he's, like, the the head is clearly visible multiple times. And she's, like, sort of just, like, you know, like, everything looks like it was done in one take. And it probably was. And, and, yeah. and part of, that's kind of part of how it, it doesn't take itself too seriously, too, right? So, like all of the props that are used to, like, represent, like, the mutilated bodies of the people are, like, clearly, like, spirit Halloween, like, plastic shots, and they're not, um, the camera just, like, looks at them and looks at them as, like, plastic objects, and then, like, look at this hokey, yeah, like, plastic hand or whatever. With just, like, like, overhead lighting. Like, like nothing is dramatically lit in this movie except maybe the dream sequence. Um, And also, like, if you are, you know, there's this whole, like, the connoisseurship of bad movies and, like, you know, Ed Wood gets named a lot. It's kind of like, if the enjoyment you get out of watching movies like Ed Wood movies is that they're terrible, but the person who made them thought they were really great and it's kind of fun to laugh at that person's expense. This should make you feel cold and gross inside because it's terrible and it's made by people who knew they were making crap and knew they were being, like, mean and violent and did it anyway and, like, and didn't do a very good job of it. Yeah, so zero to five stars. Don't watch this movie. I'll give it one out of ten just because there's, like, there's this is the participant, like, you showed I, up to class today, so you get... It's, like, uncomfortable laughter in a way that is feels like it it elicits something out of you. It's, you know, whether it's, like, the kind of watching a car wreck or something. I think if it looked any better, I'd hate it even more. But the fact, to Jocelyn's last point, like, the fact that they clearly didn't care if the whole movie looked like shit. At least, you know, you don't feel like... Uh, it would be so much worse if, like, if the person making it had, like, you know, aspirations of being a, a great filmmaker. Um, but that being said, it also sucks to know that you spent 75 minutes or whatever this piece of garbage is <laughs> watching a movie that was made by schlocksters who knew they were making a piece of shit. Yeah. Yeah, go on a nice walk in a park instead, yeah, eat, I think. Eat an apple. Yeah. Um, we will be discussing a much better film. Speaking of apples, what's the apple's vegetable cousin? 
Oh my goodness. So fried green tomatoes is the apple's vegetable cousin, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm excited to, to revisit that film um, with you back and to talk about it. And we are super late with this episode because, well, rel- related to it being late, is that we have some news. So, back with our news. We got engaged. Yeah, we got engaged. Um, we went on a little trip, and we mutually proposed, and we're very, very excited about it. And we've been swept up a little bit in um, hammering out some of the details of wedding planning stuff that's taken a lot of our time. Um, in addition to the other things that we do very regularly in our lives. And so now that that is more in place, we kind of have a little bit more space for fun side projects like this. But yeah, that's what happens. Um, And then we watched Microwave Massacre, and that also... It took a while to want to record. Yeah. Yeah. Or to get out of bed. Or to... Oh my goodness, I love you. Okay. Um, thank you for joining us. Join us next time. If you haven't seen Fried Green Tomatoes, it is a film worth watching. So it is a film if you're kind of watching along with us. Um, I will say I'm sorry if you watched Microwave Massacre in anticipation of this. And I will say you might want to watch Fried Green Tomatoes in anticipation of that episode. I will mention, too, that the most recent... The, the most... What am I trying to say? The be- The most accessible version of microwave massacre that you can now get is a re-release of the vhs rather than the dvd so the good news is you can probably own it as an artifact in a in a a a format or a medium that you don't have a device to play it on so it can just sit on your on your shelf like a book you don't read (laughs) all right on that note we will talk to you next time Later, can consters.